Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know absolutely too much about the Rock Hall, and it is my curse, my burden, uh, but it's it's why you listen to the show, presumably. With me, as always, is the skeptic, the voice of the people, the little devil upon my shoulder, Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hello, Joe. We have one final artist to discuss on this year's ballot. Are you ready, Kristen? I I am. And you know what? I even know who it is. I mean, yeah. Mostly because pa- you told me this morning, but... Um... But you could also use your powers of deduction. I could have deduced, but I am glad uh, glad to know and excited to uh, to talk about it. Okay. But before we get to that, we need to bring in our guest. Very excited to have him uh, talk to us from Philadelphia. He's a journalist. has written for Variety, Wax Poetics, the Philadelphia Weekly, among many others. A.D. Amorosi. Welcome to the show, A.D. Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's let's start off the bat. You know, the show's about the Rock Hall, um, but, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame isn't an institution that very many people have much of a reference level for. What are you coming into the show with? Have you have you seen an induction ceremony on TV? Do you pay attention to the announcements at all? Well, not only do I, yes, pay attention to the announcements from the, the morning, they are developed until the last vote is cast. Uh, I was lucky enough to be at the 1995 event, uh, the year that Zappa, Led Zeppelin, Janis Joplin, among others, were brought into the hall. So the B I team. Do... What's that? I said the B team. I'm just kidding. Like a oh, bunch of just legends. legends. Yeah. And like I said, that really was a banner year for such a diverse mix of music personalities. I mean, having Zappa. At the same time, Neil Young, Janis Joplin, and Led Zeppelin, uh, it did my heart proud. Yeah, though no, that sounds so that I'm sounds amazing. Rock-hole. That's I I, <laughs> I you know I think most people would be too if they got to experience if they got to see Led Zeppelin reunite and play with Neil Young. I think anybody would be like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. The one thing that was kind of neat and disappointing at the same time was that Bowie was of course not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead. Mm-hmm. It was Madonna and David Byrne. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. two of my funny. faves. Um, I mean, not bad. Uh, I have to ask: did you did you go twice? Because you're describing two years. Yes, I did actually. Okay, so ninety five and ninety six. <laughs> yes. Right. Good years. Now let's uh, let's play. Adi Amorosi is a Rock Hall voter. Let's say you had a ballot. Who would you choose on this year's ballot to go into the uh, Rock Hall? This year, along with the spinners, not just because I'm doing the show on them, but I do believe that they are a necessary part of the Rock Hall, I would choose Willie Nelson, the outlaw country king. I would choose the New Order slash Joy Division. Very good. The grouping. I would choose Kate Bush. Excellent choice. And... I would choose either A Tribe Called Quest or Missy Elliott. Uh, and, and whatever one didn't make it this year would make it in next year. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, and, and I won't belabor this point, is I always, whether or not I believe Rage Against the Machine and the White Stripes and Soundgarden deserve to get in, of course they do, uh, but I really do enjoy seeing people get into the hall maybe with the sort of timing they 
I, I'd rather see the veterans getting in first is what I'm uh, getting at. Mm -hmm. So if you were around in the 60s and the 70s, I would sooner see you get in before your 90s contemporaries. Mm. A sense of order. But a I sense also, of order. A new yes, order, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, and it also makes probably for a less lively program only because I guess a lot of younger audiences want to see- Less a lively program also. Sometimes, as it were. Right. They want to see- they, want to see the white you know they want to see a jack white get in because they know jack white they want to see Soundgarden reunite they want to see rage against the machine so and i get it but nah let them wait they have a couple years i mean yeah the, when it sometimes when you're looking at these artists and you're interpreting a full 30 years between their heydays the, the they can wait uh, is a perfectly reasonable response to trying to pick from a group of, of very worthy artists. Um, and I'd say your, your list is, you know, Kristen and I are actually in the thick mm -hmm. of calling actual voters right now and attempting to influence mm -hmm. their votes if we can catch them in time. And I wish you had a ballot. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty in line with what, what yeah. we would advocate for. So then my ballot is, is in line with what you, you guys are looking towards. Mm -hmm. Pretty close. Pretty and that close. last pick, we would we would guide you to Missy Elliott. Just for likelihood of like reaching enough votes to get in this there's year. A, there's a strategic play there. Okay. Uh, Both of them are, if one gets in over the other this year, I will not, I will not cry. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I absolutely love them both. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I love them both equally. I mean, there's really, you know, Consider Q-Tip. Consider everything mm -hmm. Missy Elliott ever did with Timbaland. It's uh, the catalogs are equitably dynamic. So tough choice. Absolutely. Now let's uh, let's let's hone in on the spinners. I'd like I'd like to talk about them, and I'd like to start with your personal history. And I'm glad we got to talk to you because I felt like we needed to talk to somebody from philly about the spinners but let's let's start from your your perspective your history with this with this group yeah what what kind of do they mean personally to you do you remember the first time you heard them the first time i would have heard them would have been i remember my father working at sigma sailed not uh in in terms of recording, but in terms of doing construction uh, on their studios. And oh. he brought home reel-to-reel after reel-to-reel after reel-to-reel. And I remember him having reel-to-reels of the spinners in the, uh, you know, in these boxes. And these weren't, you know, the these weren't things that the, the studio was was they had either extra recordings they just wanted to get rid of them and it wasn't as if they didn't already have these my father didn't pirate away <laughs> these master <laughs> recordings these just happened to be additional reel-to-reels wow. and this was stuff before, you know often before it came out 
This was uh, stuff from 1973, 72, uh, the year that he had worked there, which would have been 74, at the end of 74, beginning of 75. And I'm sure I had already heard them on the radio. Uh, I was already a fan of so much that Gamble and Huff and Tom Bell had already produced, having nothing to do with where I, you know, nothing about local pride or anything like that. It was just amazing R&B that, you know, if you had any ear toward radio at that time, that's what the radio was playing. It was the last great era of adult pop. Mm. So that, you know, that, and it was, dare I say, if you had an ear for complicated sound, if you were a fan of the Beatles, if you were a fan of Burt Bacharach, then hearing a Tom Bell wasn't so far off. So let's, uh, for for our listeners, let's kind of, let's talk about Tom Bell. Because when you talk about the spinners, you have to talk about this guy, Tom Bell, as well, who was not a member of the spinners, but was a uh, producer and such an important part of not just their sound, but what many people would characterize as the, the Philadelphia sound. Tom Bell had been a part of Gamble and Huff's The Mighty Three, a publishing organization. Uh, but rather than go into a label deal, Philly International Records with Gamble and Huff, he still worked with them, but decided to work alongside of that work outside of their system, which means he also chose to work with acts that weren't PIR related or uh, Columbia slash Sony related at the time. That meant the Delphonics, mm. that meant the Stylistics, and that meant the Spinners, who had originally, were all originally from Detroit. They had also been on Motown before they get to him. And by the time they do get to him, it, it plays more upon their harmonies than anything that happened when they were known as the Detroit Spinners or the Spinners under Motown. Amazing tenor work, amazing unity. And again, the type of voices that could course through Tom Bell's melodies and arrangements, that could course through, for the most part, Linda Creed's lyrics. And it's interesting, Bell, Joe, we, we, we said this before we got on air, that uh, I had interviewed Tom Bell in two very long interviews for Wax Poetics at two separate times. And I remember him telling me that one of the things that he thought could happen could be true with the spinners that he did not think was true with the Delphonics or the Stylistics. He believed that the lyrics that the Stylistics and the Delphonics did always had to be more story-driven, more, I don't want to say more intelligent, but he did make the spinners sound as if their approach to lyrics were more universal. It was kind of interesting. I Because then I had to go backwards. I'm like, was he trying to say... Is he throwing shade at the, <laughs> the spinners are smart? No, I, <laughs> I 
remember teasing him about the same thing. And he said, no, that they simply, they had a way with simpler ideals, more universal themes than say the intimate dramas of a stylistics or a Delphonics. Hmm. So that's Tom Bell talking. So <laughs> don't quote me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's not me. That's Tom Bell. Um, right. But then again, if you think about it, the spinners ultimately are the ones with the bigger hits. Now, I won't say that there is the spinners are more have more impact than the Delphonics and the stylistics, especially when you consider, say, Quentin Tarantino's use of some of this music in uh, Jackie Brown. But the spinners are certainly had bigger hits that cut through pop radio lasting longer. Totally. I will carry that through to one more point. It is the spinners that are being nominated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And unfortunately, not the Delphonics and not the stylistics. So there is something to what Tom Bell said. There is a universality there. Absolutely. That maybe is missed in some of the more intimate elements of what the stylistics and the Delphonics are talking about. Yeah, and I don't see the Delphonics or the stylistics being nominated ever. But the you know the spinners have been yeah. nominated a few times, and you know, I, and I you you won't say that they have had a bigger impact, but I, I'll I'll say it. I re I really do think they have, and I think their music has lasted longer and is still heard more often. Yeah, I will I I will absolutely say that. I I, I whether or not I should is another thing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. Well, like and but you know, it is tearing into the catalog of. The spinners versus the stylistic versus the, Del the Delphonics is like saying, you know, who do you like more, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, or the Kicks? And you know, so it begins that argument, or you know, what what fine points of each of those acts take preeminence. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and I want to uh, I want to touch on on something that you mentioned, but you know, the kind of the spinners story is an interesting one because they they really break out in the 70s but they have a long career before that and like you said sometimes referred to as the Detroit Spinners specifically yes. in the UK because there was a UK group called the Spinners a folk group right. and so you know for a lot of people they are associated with with Detroit and they were you know kicking around pretty much the entirety of the 60s yeah. Uh, in Detroit, uh, at first for uh, Harvey Fuqua's label, and and then they were a low priority act for Motown for a long time. Really? Yeah, it's, it, it always seems as if Motown, when Motown didn't know what to do with you, Motown didn't know what to do with you. Yeah, Bobby, they have they, a history the acts of that. that they, yeah, the the acts that they made into acclaimed in international successes they did a beautiful job with and the acts that they had no idea they just you know they got swept under the table so or under the rug or they got swept somewhere <laughs> uh and it really isn't until atlantic yes uh, and Which... i think aretha franklin picks up on their harmonies and their possibilities and suggests them for a pretty low ball priced signing at the time. And then Bell 
always a sucker for great harmony and looking for successful acts. I mean, let us not. Bell was a very ambitious man. He wanted music that uh, he wanted music and acts. Yeah, and this vocalists. wasn't he. He didn't feel bad for the spinners and think, oh, somebody better right. write them some songs. <laughs> he was yeah. like, oh, I think these yeah, guys I, have the goods. I've got nothing better to do with. I'll be around than just uh, give it to these guys. No, he was very, very calculating, and he could hear. You know, I don't recall from the times I interviewed him if he had perfect pitch, but he did know how to pitch perfectly. And he knew what it meant to have voices within a group dynamic like a Felipe Wynn, as opposed to, say, when he worked with uh, Dion Warwick on Trick of the Cat or uh, Johnny Mathis. There was a big difference between each of these vocal groups in his head and his mind. And that's what he wrote to. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, again, I want to like kind of underline the kind of dire circumstances of, of this Motown period, because it's almost comical. <laughs> yeah. Like the way yeah. I mean, and like on some level, you can understand like this is Motown records in the 60s. Like the roster was insane like some of the some oh, of the greatest really? artists of all time and that's just when the spinners were were with them and you know it's it's hard when to they were through. around uh, right they yeah, exactly. when they happened to be around exactly um. <laughs> but i mean the stories are that like you know they would put out maybe they would be allowed to put out a single a year and like none of they they wouldn't do great and so then they would just have to bide their time until they could do it again and in that in that meantime, there are stories of them being other groups, chauffeurs and chaperones. Uh, there's apparently some of them chauffeured Barry Gordy's mom around. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is so it's just like, you know, the and because this is a to be on Motown is a, is a big <laughs> break for a group. And it's like, what will you do to continue to be? on this label and it's like i guess the label head's mom needs to go to the grocery oh store so i'll do that it's really uh it's a uh, it, it dire um yeah and it, it, you couldn't get away with that nor you you shouldn't have got away with it then and you couldn't get away with it now yeah um and they were eventually shifted to a label that was under the motown umbrella called vip sure. yeah, you know now did they get vip treatment there or were they no oh no. man so they were still not okay i mean the only like, they're in the coach section or the, of the vip okay towards towards the the very end like pretty much as it's they're about to get out of this circumstance with the help of aretha franklin uh over at atlantic they are given a song that was written by stevie wonder which like that's probably what they were they were praying for something like that uh you know for the entire decade uh and it's a song called it's a shame yeah written with uh, Serena Wright right uh who i believe was married to Stevie Wonder yes. at the time Absolutely. and so they right before they're they're about to leave they do have a have a little bit of success with this what song a, it's a, what shame. a great song too i love that yeah. song and uh <laughs> you know it it 
went to number 14, which, you know, maybe doesn't sound that great, but for them, that was like far and away as successful as anything they'd put out. And, you know, I, I will say like in the kind of pantheon of their songs, I don't know that I would put it towards the top, but I did notice on Spotify, it's got 118 million streams. It's like number two overall. Uh, so it's a song that endures, even though it's from the Detroit era. It's right. Pre, it's pre Tom Bell. And uh, it's not even classic spinners lineup yet. No, no. but the one thing yet, what is interesting about it's a shame is how it's sound dovetails so handsomely into how could I let you get away? I'll be around. The Philly, the Philly side, uh, output. Yeah. The Tom Bell. Um, and, and what is, you know, again, Bell being competitive and smart as he is, there's probably, he probably is tracking what is great about It's a Shame. I know he loves Stevie Wonder as a songwriter. Who doesn't? Uh, right. So it would be, it would be no, it would be no surprise if there was something in Tom Bell's head that said, okay, the next thing I do should somehow play off it because mm -hmm. it's a shame mid-tempo low to the ground it's more like i'll be around than it is than anything sensei like rubber band man mm -hmm. or mighty love so there is you can hear a progression from it's a shame to uh, to the 19 that which was 1970 until 72 which was the beginning of the Atlantic tenure and Tom Bell so do I wouldn't be surprised it's uh, I don't recall discussing Stevie Wonder and it, it's a shame with Bell but that doesn't mean we didn't uh, it's well because like I said I, I wrote two very long features and Bell thankfully gave me four and five hour interviews each time out Wow. God bless yeah. him. Uh, and someone someone who hadn't given a lot of interviews kind of up to that point. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. I'm 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 fortunate in a way I can't begin to tell you. Absolutely appreciative. And you know, it, it's a shame featured uh a singer, G C Cameron, uh yes. who would not make the uh jump to Atlantic nope. with them for nope. contractual reasons. Absolutely true. Which is how they get Felipe win, right? Which was who was GC Cameron's cousin? Oh. Yes, yeah, and who would later go on to uh, hang around with uh, P Funk and sing with them for a little bit? Yeah, and you know that is once Felipe joins and GC Cameron is gone, then that is considered to be the classic Spinners lineup. You know, even though it is like a good decade after they started. And that's how the hall considers them as well, because GC yeah. Cameron is not on the list of members, uh, even though I he's know, on, it's, it's a shame. But it is, you know, Felipe Wynn, Bobby Smith, Billy Henderson, Purvis Jackson, um, and Henry Fambro, who's the only surviving member of the Spinners. Yeah, I don't, I can't pretend to know how and why the hall makes those decisions uh it's it is something that has purred through every administration or every administrator i should say of mm -hmm. the hall 
Uh, is, is it a failing? Of course it is. Will it be rectified? I would have to hope that enough people, enough artists, enough producers, enough songwriters would complain. But have they? Probably not. You know, I guess there's only so much boat rocking a lot of people want to do. But we yeah. should also make sure you mentioned Bobby Smith alongside of Felipe Wynn. You know, Bobby Smith is the second co-lead singer and an amazing, an amazing, you know, as, as again, as I, I use the word dynamic a lot, as dynamic a lead vocalist uh, as Felipe Wynn is, Bell just as often wrote to Bobby Smith's voice. Uh, I'll be around in particular. The, you know, Belt was adamant in saying, when you hear that voice in your head, you write to that. You, uh, could it be I'm falling in love? You write to that voice. And that's what he did within, you know, the construct of working with, the, you know, with and for the spinners. He, you know, knew what he wanted Wynn to do. He knew what he wanted Smith to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Felipe Wynn gets a lot of the credit for being the lead vocalist, but really it is that group had two lead vocalists and a lot of yeah. their big, a lot of their, a lot of their big songs Absolutely. and the songs we still listen to are, are Bobby Smith ones. Exactly. Uh, Wynn just happened to be, look, Wynn was a flashier commodity. Wynn wanted, Wynn was the one who left to go solo. Wynn was the one who, you know, stood in front of P-Funk and sang, which takes, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you, some of the you best gotta, musicians, yeah. You've got to be, yeah, you have to be pretty flashy to make yourself prominent in front of, you know, Bernie Worrell and George Clinton and Bootsy Collins. So, yes. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, Felipe, let's <laughs> not right. just let's not just uh, say Felipe, you know, when he left the Spinners, it was over the fact that he wanted the group to be called Felipe Wynn and the Spinners. Yeah. Yes, it's true. It's Which very true. is yeah, bold he... when you are not the only lead singer. And, uh, you know, that caused friction and they were not going to change. So that's that's why he ended up leaving. Yeah, that's ab that, that is absolutely true. And um, there are a lot. You know, there are a lot of reasons for that, too. Yeah, no, no point in discussing, you know, rumors. But, yeah, he uh, his ego got ahead of him let's just put it that way yeah now you know the the rock and roll hall of fame does not uh one of the issues with it is they don't say what the criteria is for induction it's kind of nebulous but because right. i'm a i'm a huge nerd and i think about this all the time i've devised a list of categories that i think if you do well in them you have a decent case for induction so we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to evaluate the spinners on my patented list of mm -hmm. criteria. So uh, don't go anywhere. The transition as always. We will be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you kept it moving, whatever that means to you. All right, the Spinners. This is their fourth nomination after being nominated in 2012, 2015, and 16. So it's been... Uh, I'm sorry, you know, wait. Their what? Their fifth nomination? Fourth. 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 Okay. Fourth. They haven't been on the ballot in eight years so this is yeah. a, a return to them after having been, you know, it seemed like they were on every year or so uh, about 10 years ago. They've been eligible for the Rock Hall since 1987, which is the <sighs> second year of inductions because, you know, we talked about them being a 70s group, but their first single is from 1961. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's a song called That's What Girls Are Made Of. Hmm, and- I, I bet there's nothing problematic about it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my fun fact about that song. Uh, on drums, a young Marvin Gaye. Well, well, yeah. well. Yeah, he so would that's, go on to do some things, some stuff, uh, you know. But that's yeah, obviously back from their their Detroit days. But let's go to uh, let's go to the first category: iconic slash majorly recognizable songs. You know, we we talked a little bit about "It's a Shame," which uh, you know predates the kind of beginning of the the Philly era, the Tom Bell era, the classic era of the spinners worth noting though, because it's, it's still a song that was part of the repertoire and, and a song that people still listen to. But I think it's, it's worthwhile to go through these songs uh, chronologically. I, I think there, there's an order to that. We can kind of tell their story that way, but I also think, you know, the, the first big hit, from the Philly era, from Atlantic, Tom Bell, it, it was actually a B-side, and it's I'll Be Around. That it released in 1972, went gold, went to number three in the Hot 100, number one R&B hit. And, you know, like I said, unexpected, you know, the A-side was a song called How Could I Let You Get Away. But the DJs preferred I'll Be Around. And, you know, there that was an era when DJs could make that decision and it mattered. And then it kind of caught on and then they made that retroactively the A-side. And I would put that maybe at the top of 
recognizable songs. I think it is one of their their most iconic. Absolutely. Yes. And it is amazing to consider that those two songs, uh, you know, few and far between are singles with such strong A and B sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'll Be Around is the more recognizable favorite, but I would dare say how how could I let you get away is still dreamy and still, if you were to pick among their 10 fa- best or most intricate harmonies, uh, most intricate performances, I would also choose that. So, yeah, and that's a, and that's a Bobby Smith one. Worth, yep. yes, worth pointing is. out, you know, the guy who the guy who wasn't saying that he wanted to put his name on the spinners was the one who was uh, who who carries that song. And then their their next single right after that is maybe the song I would put in the number two slot uh, in terms of recognizability, and it's Could It Be I'm Falling in Love. I think I said it earlier in regards to going from It's a Shame to I'll Be Around. Their rhythms begin to percolate just a little bit faster with each major single. Bell is bringing them in and bringing them along slowly. Mm-hmm. He really does. He really did have a master plan for them. And, and you know, and and as did Creed. I, I've I've never talked to Linda Creed, but you know, from what we understand from Belle, she too had her own goals. Yeah, and she she was writing a lot of the songs that that Tom Bell was producing. This woman, Linda Creed, a white woman who wanted to be an artist and then kind of fell into songwriting and was brilliant at it. Yeah, and by the time we get to something like Ghetto Child, she also you know she wanted to write adult love songs but she also wanted to write lyrics that had relevance i dare i you know i don't want to say social conscience i don't want to say you know politicized but by the time you get to get a child which is in 1973 like other songs that were coming out from the sound of philadelphia uh bell's brothers and gamble and huff they they wanted to maintain uh, you know something political something relevant something you know uh, you know something serious to say beyond love songs yeah and I want to note you know could it be I'm falling in love was uh, the second consecutive gold single uh, also from 1972 it went to number four another number one R and B hit uh, and this song was written by two songwriter brothers uh, sometimes credited Melvin as and Marvin yes Mel- Melvin and Mervin. Which I Mervin, think is <laughs> Melvin and Mervin. Yes, Great. Melvin and Mervin. Melvin uh, but they and were Mervin. Often credited as Maestro and Lyric. Yes. But, ah. But we we know them as uh, we know the truth. They're Melvin and Mervin. Melvin and Mervin. I wonder why they tried to get credit as Maestro as and Lyric. Something a little cooler. When than... their names were Melvin and Mer Merlin. Mervin. Mervin. Melvin and Mervin. Yep. But you know the uh, the their third consecutive gold single from the same album, which was self titled Spinners, is uh, one of a kind love affair. Which I wouldn't put up, up towards the top uh, with those last two songs, but definitely a song that I think you know it's it's got a catchy hook that I think people. 
if they hear it, they would recognize it. Um, went to number 11 in 1973. This is another number one on the R&B charts. Uh, it, I'll be around with Bobby Smith. Could it be I'm Falling in Love is also Bobby Smith, although Felipe Wynn comes in at like at the at the very, very end. And then this uh, this one-of-a-kind love affair is, is Felipe Wynn on lead. And one-of-a-kind love affair is written by Joseph B. Jefferson. Got it. Eat your, eat your hat, Melvin and Mervyn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... After that, we get to, um, you know, another song off of that album. Now, this one, you know, it didn't go to the top of the charts. It was only number 29 uh, and, and a number four R&B hit did not go gold. But I think worth mentioning because you brought it up already and, it, you know, it deals yeah. with, with themes that, that are uh, interesting. But uh, Ghetto Child. Yeah, I don't think that's a. I don't think that's one that you hear as much. But again, a a strong hook and one that I listened to. I couldn't quite remember. I was like, do I know this song because I like the spinners, or do I know this one because I've I've heard it on the radio? I remember it. I mean, I was a kid, Lord, but mm-hmm. I remember it being spun quite a bit. Philly radio was not necessarily always so dedicated to its own. You know, they weren't married to everything Bell, Huff, or Gamble did per se. Uh, but it, I, I just remember it being part of the radio dynamic. I remember it being part of, you know, if you remember seeing the spinners on talk shows, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it, that song was, was quite popular. It, it, whether or not it reached the same sort of charts and, you know, the sales that say, could it be I'm falling in love and I'll be around it? Obviously it didn't. But I would say its impact uh, has lasted for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and a little bit of a departure in terms of, you know, the last three songs we talked about were just love songs. Now, uh, let's go back to what I had said earlier about Bell being someone or somewhat competitive. Ghetto Child goes to 29. He doesn't make another one. He, he doesn't keep trying to make relevant social mm-hmm. uh, you know songs with the spinners they go forward they go back to love songs they go back to playful songs they go back to romance mm-hmm. he sees mm-hmm. he sees what what really works and and what maybe doesn't right and then, uh you know accordingly right. operates from then on well uh Absolutely. so so all, all of those songs are off that uh off that first atlantic first album album which is pretty remarkable oh wow Uh, their their next one was uh an album called mighty love in 1974 and that album went gold did about as well as the self-titled debut on atlantic did but really i would say there aren't really any songs off of that album that the contemporary audience would recognize it's not really until the next one new and improved which was also in 1974 and also went gold uh that gave them their biggest hit, which was the duet with Dionne Warwick, Ben Came You. Bell was absolutely, you know, going back to what I had mentioned about a Bacharach, working with Dionne Warwick for him was a goal. 
he was in love with Dionne Warwick's voice and wound up uh, producing other albums for her when she went to Warner Brothers very briefly. Mm -hmm. But this was the entree, getting her to record with an act he already had sales and command over. I shouldn't say command over. That's a lousy mm -hmm. way of putting it, but command whip. Uh, so he knew what he was doing by putting Dionne Warwick with the spinners. And then Came You is just, it's era defining, it's, it's danceable, it's, it's right as disco's beginning to rise mm -hmm. as a form. It's a bold song. Yeah. And, you know, it, this is another one that went gold. This one went to number one. This is uh, the only Spinner song that that goes to the very top of the charts, um, and at the time it was at the time it was Dion's only, uh, was her, or at least it was her first number one. And this is kind of a it's just a weird period for Dion Warwick because it's in between the Bacharach David era and it's before Arista yeah. Records, mm -hmm. uh, and so you know this was kind of a, a pick me up for her in in this little valley of her career, and it's almost as though the success of the Spinners were the ones who were able to lift her up. You might not think that looking back now, but that was kind of the dynamic at the, at the time. Cause they yeah. were on a hot street. And like I said, from what bell had told me, he wanted that for her. He wanted to work with her alone, mm -hmm. uh, on track of a, you know, track of the cat would have been 75. He had those songs in his head for her for quite some time. And to this day, or up until, you know, I guess when I spoke to him last was 2021 and beginning of 2022. That was his favorite album that he had ever recorded with another artist. Wow. Yeah. The next album for the Spinners was 1975. They were cranking them out. Uh, it was a live album, Spinners Live. That went gold. And then they did another album in 1975, Pick of the Litter, which was their fifth consecutive gold record. Uh, songs people might know off of that one, Games People Play. Games people play, night or day, they're just not matching what they should do. Keeps me That's the big one. That went to number five, went gold, and that was a number one R&B hit. And I, you know, from what I understand, this album is kind of where a lot of people consider the classic Tom Bell Spinner's collaboration period to... And that kind of like four album, four studio album stretch. Yeah, it's about right. I mean, it, it, it's another Joseph B. Jefferson song, uh, Games People Play. Yeah, and a good one. But, you know, they say that's where the the classic period stretches ends. But next album, Happiness is Being with the Spinners, has, <laughs> has one of their biggest songs, yeah. one of their quintessential songs. It is their number one song on Spotify, and it is Rubber Band. Man. Rubber Band Man. Yeah, that was a number two hit on the charts. Their final R&B number one hit went gold as well, and this one has, has Felipe Wynn on the lead vocals, and it is just an infectious bop, dare I say. Just so much fun and again it's it is an r it is definitely r&b that could play with you know could that could play on the dance floor it can keep you know in the disco era it could keep people moving which you know wh whether you liked disco or not or even whether the producers liked 
disc or not. It was the same thing with the Gamble and Huff. No, you know, nobody thought about making disco. They just thought about making songs you could groove to. And if you want to, if it, if it works on the disc in the discotheque, more power to us. Mm-hmm. And I have to acknowledge, uh, for my generation, and I thought maybe I was crazy, but it, it's on the Wikipedia page for the Rubber Band Man entry. There were a series of commercials for Office Max in the 2000s <laughs> where oh, uh, an actor who would go on to be Crab Man from My Name is Earl, <laughs> he, he's like pushing an wow. office cart and giving out like office supplies to people <laughs> oh, and, and man, has like right. a rubber band ball. Oh, he's the rubber band man. I mean, I vaguely, when you said it, I was like, oh, I can picture a guy pushing a cart. Mm-hmm. And they played that wow. song and that was my first exposure to it. Uh, and I wouldn't be shocked if people <laughs> my age are also, that's the, the case for them. And it was, <laughs> I, it, it became a series of commercials with that guy uh-huh. and that song and probably just due to the strength of how like infectious and fun that song is. <laughs> and yeah, I, apologize. Is that... I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I sincerely hope that when we come to finally eulogize every spinner's member, that that's not how it comes up. <laughs> and you know, the office max guy. <laughs> oh, you mean crab man from my name is Earl? No, no, oh, no. Man, man. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, at this, it's at this point uh, after this album where those kind of ego problems that we talked about happen. Right. With Felipe Wynn uh, wanting to have his name in the name of the group. You know, I'll say it again. Uh, justice for Bobby Smith. He sung a lot, sure. of, a lot of those hits, a lot of the great ones. And so he leaves to do a solo career. And like you say, he, he, he uh, teams up with P-Funk for a little bit. But, you know, the, the spinners are never quite the same after his departure, you know, they do a few more albums with Tom Bell. They don't really go anywhere. In 1979, they do their first album without Tom Bell called Dancing yeah. and Lovin', which is a bit of a comeback because it has another gold single on it, which would be their last. And it's a cover of the Four Seasons song, Working My Way Back to You. Which is a nice arrangement. It is, it is a good arrangement. It's a light arrangement it's a fun arrangement you kind of wish they would have had one more shot at a song more tailor-made for them but you take the hits when you get them yeah you know it goes it goes to number two on the hot 100 uh in 1980 and you know that is the highest charting version of that song and i there's probably a lot of people who associate that song with Mm -hmm. the spinners uh over the four seasons so uh, but that's kind of the end, I would say, of the songs that people would really recognize from the Spinners. Absolutely. Two additional notes I think worth mentioning. Their last top 100 hit was actually a cover of fellow nominee Willie Nelson's Funny How Time Slips Away. Ain't it funny? It's so funny how time just slip right on away. Well, well, well. If it doesn't yeah. all come back to Willie once again. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, you know, a, a connection there uh, on the ballot. And then uh, this is crazy. And I didn't know this. And it's a song I've heard in 1987. They performed the theme song, the title track to a little movie called Spaceballs. What? Yes. Yes, they do. 
And I've seen Spaceballs and I know that song, Spaceballs Watch Out. And it's the spinners from the from the late eighties. Wow. <laughs> really, yeah. really funny. I not again, not a song I would consider a classic, but it it's certainly great to hear the voices. Yes. And I you know and I, they I thought, are, it is recognizable as the spinners. Absolutely. And I thought worth worth mentioning at the, at the end of this, sure. this category here, right? Um, but let's space, uh, let's space hold an office max. You really you really brought it down. <laughs> you have to. You absolutely have to. Um, let's go to the next category, which is albums, classic albums. So I noted the, the, those four albums, those first four albums with Tom Bell are considered kind of the classic period. And that first one has a lot of of great songs on it. You know, the the self-titled has I'll Be Around, Could It Be I'm Falling In Love, yeah. One of a Kind Love Affair, uh, Ghetto Child. And I would say that one above all the rest, if, if there is to be one that is classic, I would say it's that one. Now, if I may... Please. Do you guys think the Spinners have any entries on the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time? Ooh. I, I do. I just thinking about kind of the number of hits that are on that album and that it's their first album. The first, it, their first one of their like yeah, classic of their, period. They're like breakout Atlantic, album. Really, yeah. It just feels like that is something that Rolling Stone likes to honor. <laughs> And I think with the recalibration in 2020, it might have done well for them. But then again, I don't know. They seem to be kind of a band that time forgot in some ways. Like, I don't think people uh, I think that's like one of the problems they've had kind of getting the votes to uh to like make it in uh, is that they they're not as known as like a you know miracles um, or temptations and I think that boy okay I do think that it's on there I think it's going to be in the four four seventy two that's right. that's a- my eighty what do you think I'm going to guess no okay uh, I'm going to guess that they uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned twenty twenty and the recalibration, I would say that Rolling Stone at that point probably concentrated more on acts and groups that had a front, like you mentioned the Miracles, that's Smokey Robinson. I would imagine that they concentrated more on that than they did the Spinners. I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but you tell me. No, you're, you're, you're likely right. The Spinners are not on the list. There we go. Not yeah. on any iteration yeah. of the list. You know what? And it, uh, I'll, I'll bring this up in a little bit because you, you have a question coming up about who do I think will induct them. I think a lot of what the complexity behind Harmony acts, such as a spinner's the, the ear in the present day doesn't allow for that range to track. So it's... I don't want to say it. It's always, you know, you don't want to say, oh, it's 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 not arcane by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, it's just we don't think about it because our ear isn't led to that in the present. It's 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 surprising sometimes to me that other than marketing, even something as richly harmonic as the Beatles and richly co- complex as the Beatles, still gets the attention it does outside of marketing because 
our ears aren't trained for that. So that when people so that when people do newer lists, as time goes on, you're going to find less and less of this complexity. It's going mm. to be nothing but 30 Drake records <laughs> at the top. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. And he'll have that many uh, at that point. Yeah. And he um. will. He absolutely <laughs> will. And a good third of them will deserve a claim. And then, you know, the other ones will be like, oh, isn't that like the other 20? But okay. <laughs> but this isn't a conversation about Drake. No, this uh, is a different no, conversation. No. But I'm not. Sur- I'm not surprised that any of their albums are not on any major lists as such. Well, let's uh, let's take that and transition to the next category: critical acclaim. So you know, they, none of these albums are making it onto these big critics' lists. You know, what what do we think, Eddie? What do you think about uh, the spinners when it comes to critical acclaim? Uh, kind of leading back to what I said, I don't think people understand and that's critics that's not just you know we don't understand harmony we don't understand how to write about it we don't understand how to write very often about adult music anymore Mm -hmm. wow we just don't unless it's rock you know i mean when we speak about hip-hop or we speak about r&b or even when we speak about pop you know it would it's always far simpler material in which we're attracted to or which critics are attracted to i mm-hmm. should say we leave complexity alone unless it's you know and, and when we and when we are faced with it uh you know it's funny i was thinking about the, the uh last little yachty record where you know so many complete people complained well this is isn't this prog rock and it's like well yes it is and it sounds amazing and mm-hmm. you know he's mixed prog rock with hip-hop and 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 R and B and listen to how this is you you hate to be the guy to say this is the future because there is no future what is the future everything's the future <laughs> but uh, yeah. people don't applaud it as often as they should they you know we we're confused by harmony we're confused by look at a group like Bone Thugs and Harmony uh, an R and B act slash hip hop act who could have been a modern day the spinners and they've certainly had some hits but they're certainly they they don't have the sort of sort of acclaim or notoriety as does a kanye west as does a drake as does amigos so you know this stuff is their room to bring it back critically i think if they could break through to the rock and roll hall of fame Maybe more people do get a chance to say, hey, wait a second. I now hear where a Jonas Brothers gets uh, some of their sound that I do mm. hear where some of even, you know, Maxwell, D'Angelo. I mean, you, you, you know, listen to Lauren Hill's, uh, you know, Miseducation. I mean, there are elements of richly harmonic R&B in there. I mean, mm. you, you if people would let it happen. So I know it's, it's, it's a, you know, let's see if they get into the rock call, then maybe you'll hear a little bit more. Maybe someone will do a documentary. Ooh, 
Yeah, it's I mean, almost like kind of got to be the opposite where they do a documentary and then they and get that in the convinces rock hall. people to vote for them. Right. You exactly. Know? I think, though, I think there is conversation around this. I just think the spinners are left out of it. And I think a lot of those, you know, artists and groups you were mentioning, I mean, Lauren Hill obviously has gotten many laurels and, uh, you know, Absolutely. a lot of recognition. And, you know, will likely be inducted into the hall. I think, though, the spinners have somehow just not been a part of the conversation. I think this has to do with the Motown thing. The I, A thing that I have realized is, in and in the course of just talking about the spinners and learning about them, is that I knew plenty of their songs, but I did not know that was the spinners. Like, mm-hmm. I just was like, that's Motown or, you know, that's soul music that's soul. or it's R&B yeah. I did not know distinctively that they were like the sound of the group. And I think that that it's like they hadn't, they hadn't maintained a profile in our uh, kind of collective culture. And that I think is what has, has kind of like led to this snub or this, Mm -hmm. you know, late uh, recognition. Two other things I want to make a note of. Number one, how has, Atlantic and or its vintage arm being Rhino marketed the spinners. When you look at how it is marketed, it's other acts, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett. It is as the artist, the singular entity. Atlantic hasn't really done well, per se, marketing quote-unquote, bands that aren't rock bands. Number two, look at how the Spinners are regarded in the present day. They still tour. In fact, they're playing, they're touring now. Uh, They're playing Atlantic City two weeks from now. They're considered an oldies act as opposed to, say, an Al Green or as opposed to an Aretha Franklin up until the time she passed, who would never, you would never, have, you would never call Al Green an oldies act. Mm-hmm. Al Green is not an oldies act. The Spinners, however, are an oldies act. And they both came around at the exact same time. So it is how we respect or how we give respect to the artist versus the group outside of rock and roll. But I mean, I think of like the Temptations, I think of the Miracles, I think of those types of things. And I mean, Motown. yes, and Motown. And that mm-hmm. is, I think, the difference. Because those are groups that are known, I can name, I can name their songs, you know, like they have an identity to me right? in my and, mind. But and, they also have an identity to, as, as Motown, mm-hmm. which in and yes, of itself it's, mm-hmm. was its yes. own you know, without borrowing Phil from Phil Spector, has its own wall of sound built around it. So the temptations, of course, there are there are the sound the temptations, the four tops, the, the you know the miracles, the supremes. This is you know this is the soundtrack of our lives, but it's all couched as part of the Motown sound. They don't exist outside of that. Mm-mm. Well, and, and it's it's part of the it's part of the Motown machine the marketing that was like a machine very as well. powerful yeah. Right. machine. Yeah, very and, much. You know, absolutely. It's, there's, it's, there's no Spinners musical on Broadway. No, there's a Motown. There's a Temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like Kristen was saying. It's the songs uh, I think have succeeded in yes. terms of sticking around and being songs that people still want to hear. It's just it's the 
the name and like the identity that is falling short. And that is likely the issue on the ballot. Now, if we, if we steer back to, to some of these categories, uh, you know, we were talking about critical acclaim. What we sometimes do is we check in with uh, what Robert Criscow has, has said, the, the self-acclaimed Dean of rock critics, he kind of <laughs> represents a, a certain type of hall voter and you know he called that that first self-titled uh tom bell collaboration album the sole album of the year but then he says though it took me quite a while to get past tom bell's need to make everything smooth as a silk suit and tom bell shut up Robert Chris. yeah <laughs> well that's the I, worth worth noting though i think there is a with a certain type of rock critic who like their shit raw and loose and they associate that right. with rock and roll i think mm-hmm. especially for a long time and during that era something that was that was slick and that was produced with a fine tooth comb and you know didn't have the the rough edges you know there was some derision but even with that chris gow doesn't give any of their albums really anything lower than like a a b minus like it's all a's and b's across the board i think they're a hard group to not like they just maybe don't have the things, like I said, the rough edges or like the uh, overt experimentation that the white male rock critic really is drawn to, mm. especially from from that era. Uh, let's go to the next category, which is commercial success. Uh, I had to shut up. I had to shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you have to acknowledge these things to try to understand how the whole mechanism works, uh, sure. whether, we, whether we like it or not. Um, but commercial success, we don't need to spend a, a ton of time on this. I mean, six gold records in a row when they started working with Tom Bell, seven gold singles. You know, they charted and sold well. Uh, but, you know, I looked at contemporary R&B groups like we were kind of talking about. You know, I looked at the OJs, you know, who, who had also had five gold albums, but they also had four platinum ones mixed in yeah. there. Or like the, you know, the Jacksons were also going platinum. The Commodores were going platinum. So it's like with the Spinners, it's solid work, obviously successful, but it's not like anything was putting them over the top in terms of like a ridiculous amount of success. Not not dissimilar to the, the critical thing. It's kind of like respectable, like almost yeah. journey, journeyman-like. And then, you know, the next ca- category, longevity. Uh, you know, they're around in the 60s, but I'll be around their kind of breakout becomes a big hit in 1972. And then their last big single uh, is in actually 1980 with a cover of Sam Cooke's Cupid. Which is, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really hear that version anymore, uh, but that yeah. it went, went to number four. So it was, it was a big hit of its time. But, you know, that's kind of it. <laughs> Excluding uh, Spaceballs, that's really the kind of the last time that <laughs> this, the spinners were uh, at the top of the charts. So it's, you know, 72 right. to 80, which is eight years, which is which is a pretty good run. And they never, you know, they really, they, like I said, they're, they're touring now. They never stopped touring. Uh, and, you know, casinos of, uh, uh, you know, of the world. I'm, I, does that, mean something in regards to longevity it's you know certainly uh frankie valley and his four seasons continue to tour is that any less relevant than uh, you know the rolling stones still touring or you know the who 
build for right now. So I mean, like it, 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 it to the fact that they're still active and you know the surviving member Henry Fambro is still involved in kind of the the now face of, of the group. It, it's not it's not nothing, and we'll get we'll it's get not to that. We'll we'll get to that later. Well, the next category is influence. We <laughs> we started to talk about it when you started to talk about like kind of harmony based music. Some artists that I w- was able to kind of draw a line. I mean, like Hollow Notes, especially if you consider like the Philly connection. Sure. Um, Boys you know, to Men. Yes, Boys to Men w- was another one. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I mean, quite literally, Motown Philly is the trajectory yeah. of the spinners uh if you put an arrow in between motown and philly i mean even if you look at the early boy bands and, and I, I wind up saying the jonas brothers because the jonas brothers do still make music but the insincs and the backstreet boys of the world and the 98 degrees they don't and uh, you know it all stems from the doo-wop street corner era and the barbershop era but you know you don't really get such tight-knit soul-driven harmonies of a Backstreet Boys in an NSYNC if there isn't a Spinners, if there isn't a Delphonics, if there isn't a Stylistics. Simple as that. And some people would think that's about... <laughs> well, yeah. that you know, is, if you talk is. to, you know, any of the the boys at my high school, sure, they would yeah. be angry, but no, I'm kidding, of course. I mean, well, well, speaking speaking of boys to men, you know, they, they've covered the Spinners, and I also realized... Yeah. That end of the road, the melody to that. Sounds suspiciously like the opening piano riff to a song called Love Don't Love Nobody. Good grab. Good grab. Now because I'm hearing it in my head as you're saying it. Wow. Yeah. It's it's eerie, um, and so you can you can find the influence, you know, even in places where it's not overtly said. But you know, like I said, Hall Notes have have covered them. Todd Rundgren, another Philly guy, has covered the Spinners. Uh, there's a quote from David Bowie that was included in in one of the Spinners box sets. That you know, he says it's the, the best concert he's ever seen was uh, the Spinners in New York, and uh, he, yeah, well, and he recorded yeah. the Young Americans album in Philly at Sigma Sound Studios because yeah. he was super Absolutely. into the Philly sound. Um, and then Elvis Costello has sung their praises and, and has covered their songs. And he said he based the song Allison on Ghetto Child. Oh, well, there you have it. So, yeah. See, Ghetto, sound it. Ghetto Child is the, the the sleeper song in the Spinner's catalog. It, um, it, yeah. it, it'll it grab you and wait, wait, just when you're not thinking about it. If you listen to it once, I guarantee you, you're going to hear it again soon, somehow in your head. All right, then there's the the category of artistry slash skill. We've kind of talked about this, you know. They, they, they yeah, they didn't write their own songs, but obviously they were excellent singers, you know. And, and like we said, Felipe Wynn gets a lot of credit, and he was incredible. This kind of, I guess you could categorize him as like a falsetto tenor. But then you know, Bobby Smith, just so many of those songs, yes. he has this like very soft but yet powerful uh, voice. And then kind of rounding out the group, you know, Purvis Jackson, he's the bass. You know, when you ever you hear that that really low voice, that's Purvis. Billy Henderson is a tenor. Henry Fambro, who who we've talked about, who's still around, described as, as the rich baritone of the group. Yeah, and very few people, you know, it's funny you mentioned they didn't write any of their songs. For the most part, save for, a, uh, a you know, a William Bell 
uh, as part of the Delphonics who wrote with Bell. Very few of these guys had the opportunity to write. Yeah, it just was not. It was not done. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't part of the uh, wasn't part of the arrangement. Whereas, say with the Delphonics, William Hart collaborated with a Bell in which to come up with these songs, which is probably why when Bell talks about the Delphonics versus the Spinners, why the Delphonics stories, storylines, lyrics are always just a little bit more intricate, a little bit more personal, a little more deeply felt. Mm -hmm. All right, last category, maybe the most important category. Does my mom know them? Ooh. Now, I asked I asked her directly. Okay, I'm going to text my mom right now. I'm pretty sure let me let me I'm yeah. pretty sure she does but Get I'm going to text it. her right Get now. Get on it. So I asked her and she said yes immediately. But when I asked her to name any songs, she couldn't come up I'm with any it. off the top of her head, but then she looked them up and like knew a bunch of them. And so that's kind of the issue that we we've been talking yeah. about, which is like, yes, I know the spinners. What are their songs? Um, I don't remember. And then you hear them, you're like, oh yes, of course I know those ones. The like package is just not complete, sat like mentally for a lot of people. And, and we can call it a, a failure of marketing or whatever, but like you have to like kind of guide people to remind them who the spinners are. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Oh, my mom says yes, of course. Do you want to see if she knows it? Okay. Can you name, name, name do the classic songs? Guy seeing a, a woman wearing a yeah, I know band that band teacher. Oh yeah, really? Can you name any of their songs? My mom also is not a very good namer of songs in okay, general. Okay, so like, we shouldn't expect. Like I could ask her her favorite. Like I could be like, "Can you name some Bonnie Raitt?" My mom loves Bonnie Raitt, and I could be like, "Could you name some Bonnie Raitt songs?" And she would be like. Um, no. <laughs> well, the one, you know, with the steel guitar, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like there is just, uh, All right. so well, I, that, I won't be surprised said. if she can't name. She said rubber band man. Okay. Bam. Coming wow. through Jackie. All, all right. right. Well, that's good. So, but you know, it's, it's all part of this cultural ubiquity that we were trying to wrestle with the spinners. It's complicated. And it's it's not as easy as it should be, given that like the songs are kind of they like the songs are more forward than like the the identity of the group. It's it's a it's a strange thing. But let's uh, let's take everything we've we've talked about and let's get to our verdict. Should the spinners be in the rock hall? Will they get in and will it be this year? And we'll start with Kristen. What do you think? I think absolutely they should get into the rock. Oh, my mom also followed up with, could it be I'm falling in love? She just, she's okay. out here. Wow, okay. right. Jackie's right. a Spinners fan. Confirmed. Um, dang. Okay. I absolutely think they should get in. I worry about their chances on this very competitive ballot. But, you know, then we talk to just, you know, six people who are, you know, older folks who are voting maybe uh, and you know, people who have come from that era and who the spinners are very formative for, that's helpful. I think it's helpful. And we they... talked to two people specifically who are, you know, from kind of the older set. And they both said, "We're I'm voting for the spinners, number one choice. And then beyond that, I don't know who to vote for, yeah. you know, so that could, you know, that could bode well. It could give them almost like the zombies uh, boost, yeah, 2019. Where, yeah, where in 2019 the zombies were kind of the only classic act 
from their you know, era on from their era on that um ballot so it, I, I i don't count them out this year i did originally i was just like i don't know this ballot is so competitive i like all these artists it, it's possible i would call them a bubble artist in mm-hmm. uh you know if there's seven that get inducted i also think if they don't get in the regular way with through the ballot i think there is a high likelihood that they will just be put in as an early influence um, or a musical excellence, just as a way to kind of like shut the door on this one. I don't know if that would happen this year. We've seen it happen in the past where someone who was on the ballot, Judas Priest, you know, they just said, we're putting him in anyway. And so that's possible. Mm -hmm. It's just a really competitive ballot. I'm not willing to say that they're definitely getting in this year. Though I think that they should, I would be happy if they got in. Uh, And I think it would be cool. I think that also considering the other artists that are going to get in, it would be cool if the spinners were among them. I think that would be great. AD, what do you think? Kristen took the words right out of my mouth when she said the thing about the zombies. They are the only real classicists within a group of British New Wave people and 90s era hip hop and rock I, I think this could be their year for that reason alone. They really are the only, I, again, the only vintage act that has been overlooked just enough times to be like, well, now's the time to get them in. Yeah. So I'm going to say yes. I would consider them a dark horse. You know, that I guess that's how I would think of it. You know, it it they it could happen for the re- reasons you guys outlined. They've got to land to themselves they appeal to the older voters in a way that kind of nobody else on this ballot does. I would say they'll likely not just because it is very, very competitive on the ballot this year. But, you know, that early influence category would make sense, uh, especially when you think about there's one remaining spinner alive. Yeah. Do you really, do you really want to wait until there's zero? It, the The clock is ticking let's at the very least let one of the spinners appreciate this while he's still with us is how I feel. And I feel like they, they kind of felt that way about, you know, Judas priest last year where not only are those guys kind of up there in the years, but they're also a few of them were not super healthy. And so I feel like sometimes when the hall makes these choices that are outside the voting that is considered, so uh, let's uh, let's pivot though, and let's just say the spinners are getting in, and let's talk about their induction. Uh, who should give the speech to induct the spinners? The Jonas Brothers. Okay, they are the only contemporary act that touches on R and B that touches on the charts that is still making new records that have visual impact and who benefit most from the history okay of the spinners that came before them yeah did not see that coming but i know yeah i wonder if they could be convinced uh you know maybe but uh you know my my thoughts are you know potentially daryl hall i'm thinking i'm thinking philly we know todd rundgren's not doing it Quest Love is a is a Philly boy who's always a standby for the Rock Hall. You know he's, mm-hmm. he's deeply involved. Uh, yes, in I think Bacon. that's a if no if if no one else, I'm sure he loves the Spinners. 
someone who's been on the ballot a few times, hasn't gotten in, famously duetted with them, Dionne Warwick. Uh, I don't know if she's necessarily tight with them, but, you know, they shared a big hit and it could it could set well, up her own she, induction. She, she, exactly. That would be a good move for her. Which is, a, a you know, kind of a famous move. You induct somebody and then you get in like the next year. Um, and, you know, we mentioned Elvis Costello, and that would be an interesting one as well. He seems to have real love for the group. Those are all ideas. Now, as as you mentioned, AD, there is a version of the Spinners that is still touring, that is still playing. I would imagine if they got inducted, they that version would perform. What's a good three-song set for the Spinners to play at the induction ceremony? Well, this is where I think Dionne Warwick comes in. Oh, nice. I don't think she I don't think she inducts them. I think she appears with them much in the same way that she showed up during the versus session with Patty LaBelle and Gladys mm. Knight mm. and made and that kind of kicked off. If you remember, she mm-hmm. had been doing you just got on to Twitter uh social media. Mm-hmm. Then she shows up there and all of a sudden we're talking about Dionne Warwick again. Yeah. This is how I think she gets her name in the papers again. She she shows up at the Rock Hall. She sings with the, uh, the spinners. I also believe, I happen to think, get her child. I happen to think, then uh, I'll be around. I think if you want to get people's hands clapping, you do the rubber band, man. Yeah, Absolutely. I think you got to give Jackie what she wants. We got to give rubber band Mom. man, and yeah. then we got to get exactly. Could be involved in love. So, if, if barring a yeah. uh, barring a Dion Warwick appearance, I would say you start with Could It Be I'm Falling in Love. You go to I'll Be Around, and you you have to close on Rubber Band Man. That's yeah. my three song set. Absolutely, and absolutely. I, you know, I, I think like a good it would set. be. I think it, I, would, I would. We would love to see it. Ad, if the spinners got inducted, would you go to the ceremony? Would I go to the ceremony just for the spinners? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, it's a good year. It's not a great year. You know when I'll go? I'll go when they bring when they uh, they do the B fifty twos in Devo. That'll be oh, the next gosh. time. I, that that'll rocks. be the next time I go. I mean, we're, um, we're with you on that one. Can't wait for the day. We pray. We pray for the B fifty twos just been <laughs> on a damn ballot. But well, if if you're not going, that's your choice. But we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this was really great oh thanks for having me uh just really really appreciate it i want to give you the chance to uh as we close out you can plug whatever you want uh in any of your writing or your social media or whatever you have that you want to get out there oh well thank you uh uh, well i write regularly for uh variety for jazz times for uh flood from los angeles and wax poetics is you know we're we have uh, new owners. We're on our fourth edition. Uh, next issue coming out soon, and uh, I also have my own radio show called Theater in the Round uh, that comes through uh, Pacifica National Public Radio and on uh, through SoundCloud. So it's it you know it's about theater, and who doesn't love? <laughs> Perfect. But no. Theater is great. Uh, no, but the modern musical lives on. So I uh, I appreciate you allowing me to plug that. 
Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And of course, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to designate that somewhere in there. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it. She doesn't want to read it. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. Anything less than five would be cruel. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusuf Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.